Father God, we thank you so much that you are indeed the God who never leaves one behind. We thank you that your heart extends to every single person on the planet and that we, God, like this song proclaims, we want to join all of your created order that shouts, that proclaims the greatness of who you are, that demonstrates your intense, extravagant love over us. And God, would we be people who recognize, who in turn demonstrate this great love that never leaves the one behind. Thank you so much for this day, this Thanksgiving weekend. We love you, and we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Can we thank the worship team? What a great job today. Well, I want to welcome you. My name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church. It is a privilege to get to be with you. This last month of November has just been a good but different month. I've only preached two of the four weekends, and so I'm ready. I'm ready. I come back energized. Like I, When I'm not preaching, I'm like, the next week, let me add them. So today you're going to get it, okay? <laughs> just be, be warned and be ready. If you have a Bible today, we're going to be in the book of Matthew. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 9, if you want to make your way there. Also, in your Trinity this week, you have notes that look like this, this kind of cool uh, getting in the season of Christmas green, so find your way there. I do want to thank uh, our decor teams who did such a great job inside and outside. I just love the campus already getting that Christmas feel, and we're going to have a great month. Really want to invite you back next week as we kick off our Christmas season. But for this week, we are finishing off uh, a month called Reaching. Uh, we September, October, focus on the book of Colossians. We called that series Rooted, and here we are now, the, the second part of our dual mission of being a people rooted in Jesus and now reaching our worlds. So we're really glad you're here today. As you're finding your way there, I want to give you one um, kind of further announcement about Advent Conspiracy. One thing that we have kind of just not made the time yet to do is a very special part of this that we begun last year in particular that I remember. And really what we want to do is we want to help parents. So parents, listen to this real quick. Um, the whole Advent Conspiracy is so great because it really is just based out of the heart of generosity and just being that of selfless and outward in terms of our giving. But one way that we want to help is help you help your kids. Because one thing, Advent Conspiracy is actually a national campaign, and it was begun by a group of people who were really wanting to change the, the tide of such a consumeristic-based thing that Christmas has become and really help it become something that turns our heart back to the generosity of God. And so one thing that we have, as you'll see today out, um, not only is there uh, uh, an easy up for the women's event coming up this week, but then beyond that, there's also a, an easy up for Advent Conspiracy. And there what you'll find are these ornaments. That's what this is. On the front and the back, you'll notice on the front just got our, our logo. And then on the back, it's got an explanation. And along with that is what we call a parent prompt. And there's just four easy steps that you could sit down with your kids. And this would be the, the heart of it, the intent, is to do one of two things. One might be, hey, as a family, we're trying to figure out which of these eight or nine projects we want to give to. They're all listed in that other insert that Jared mentioned today. And what do we want to give to in a dollar amount? And you could do that and, and make a note on this ornament. You can see it's got an obvious perforation. Cut it out. Put it on your Christmas tree as just a reminder, this is a way that we demonstrated exchanging our wants for their needs. But another way to maybe even take that a next step further is to say this, and the, the prompts are here to help you kind of think this out and word this with your kids, but it might even be, you know what, would you be willing, talking to your kids, would you be willing to exchange 
what we might get for you, maybe one gift for that dollar amount to go to one of these projects. And that's kind of how this is worded on the back, to write your child's name in place of one gift to go under our Christmas tree. A gift has been given to, and then writing in the name of the mission. And I, and I don't want you to feel some sort of guilt if you're not going to do this this way. It's really just meant to be a tool. That's really all it is. But our hope is, is that not only are we being able to fund some really great projects, really Advent Conspiracy is a $50,000 goal to give it all away. That's, that's what our heart is to do and to really reflect a season of generosity. But if that would help you at a more micro level within your own home to do something like that and maybe kind of help kids kind of get their perspective maybe a little bit more towards God's intent for this season, that might be a great tool as well. So those are available. You can take as many of these as you want, and they're out on that Easy Up table uh, today. Well, we're going to dive in. This has been such a great month. I loved how we kick things off at the beginning of the month with our global mission celebration. And we're going to see today that that idea that was communicated week one right out of the gate, their theme this year was that of let's do this together. That's really going to be the theme of where we're going today in this particular passage as well in Matthew chapter 9. What we've done this month is we've talked about, we've kind of used three M words. We began that second week of November talking about the motivation. What is the motivation of being someone who's engaged as an intentional influence or someone reaching my world? The last week we had Doug Pollock out and we talked a lot about the, the methods what are good ways that we can be people who can have organic, spiritually significant conversations with people in our world? And today we're talking about the means. What, is the, what are the means that God is going to use to bring change to our world? And what we're going to see today is that in order to be a people of intentional influence, we need each other. We need good teammates, and that's kind of where we're going today. So take a look up on the screen or in your notes. Here's our now what idea. Go among your people bringing Jesus to your world and relying on his resources. So let's dial in today. Number one in your notes, Jesus modeled incarnational ministry to, for you. Jesus modeled, Jesus demonstrated incarnational ministry for you. Let me explain what we're talking about. Your Bibles are open to Matthew 9, verse 35. We're just going to look at this paragraph that finishes up chapter 9. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Now, we pick up this narrative today kind of out of the blue as I just kind of read these words. But what has happened is Jesus has come to the planet. He's made himself available at a public level initiated his public ministry, and he is indeed offering himself, presenting himself as Israel's long-awaited Messiah. One thing that Israel didn't understand well is that Messiah wasn't going to come just for them. Isaiah makes it so clear. It's too small a thing just to come to the houses of Jacob and Israel and said, I'm coming to the world. But this is the group of people that Jesus is initially offering himself to, presenting himself as Messiah. And what we're going to see, even though the crowds are coming out in throngs to find out who is this guy, it's actually the religious leaders of the people who have already rejected him. They've actually ascribed, by the time we get here in Matthew 9, they've ascribed to Jesus, what is his power to do these supernatural miracles? They've actually ascribed that to the power of Satan rather than coming from God. So this is a complete rejection on the part of those who would at least be leading the people through a religious lens. But Jesus, what we see today in these words we're going to look at in Matthew 9, we're going to see such a great 
depiction of Jesus's approach. What was his method? And we see very clearly, he came, he went out among the people in the flesh, or the word we used, incarnationally. I want you to stop and consider today, what were the means that God had already, the creator of the universe, had already employed to communicate this great news of hope, this great news of forgiveness, this great news of salvation? Well, he'd begun with his written word, and he communicated it to and through his people, but that wasn't enough. He also communicated this great truth of who he was and his power through supernatural miracles, but that too wasn't enough. He had spent, sent even spokespersons for him who were literally going to be the mouthpieces of God speaking on behalf of very God, giving truth to his people, but that was not yet enough. It would be the second member of the triune Godhead who would put on flesh and he would arrive among us to live among us and to present this great truth and ultimately himself as the means of forgiveness for a lost world. That's the thing that we'll be looking at in more detail this next month at Christmas time. But for today, note this, that he put on flesh, he made his dwelling among us, but I want you to see his approach. He walked among them. Did you see that in the phrase, Jesus went through all the towns and villages. Note that he didn't remain in the temple where people could come and make pilgrimage to come in and seek him out. He didn't even identify himself with one particular group of people and kind of find his identity within that tribe. He went out among the people to all the towns, all the villages, not expecting them to come to him. He went to them. Simple question for you to consider today, are you among your people? Look in your notes and on the screen. Have you cocooned yourself into a safe environment where you really aren't available and among the people because everyone you interact with, everyone you take time to relate to are people who look and act and vote like you? Now, you need to know that as I ask that question, that's a pretty gritty question, as I ask it, I look first in the mirror because this is something I absolutely struggle with. Anyone who works on our church staff, we interact with people all day long who love Jesus. We all have relational worlds outside of this place and it takes intentional energy, effort. Where so many of us in the workplaces, in different spots in schools, this might come a little bit more readily. I have to work to find time to make an intentional impact, to make an intentional significant investment in people's lives who are yet unconvinced of who Jesus is. I struggle with isolating and cocooning myself. So I don't ask that question in any kind of way, pointing fingers at you, but looking at myself and saying, Todd, how much are you taking this seriously? Because for any of us to invest... It's going to require a degree of intentionality. It's going to require the ability to say, I need to create margin in my schedule so I have time to do more than, hey, how are you? Fine. Do you ever have those conversations? It's someone you're just kind of passing through and you're already answering the question before they finish the question and it's just almost like you're giving each other a high five and walking through the halls. That's how shallow so many of our interactions are. We really aren't waiting to hear what they say, or we don't really care to divulge anything about how we're really doing, and we're just kind of quickly glancing past each other. That's not investment. That's not a way to be influential. To be influential it means what Jesus did. We have to go out among the people, through the villages, as it were, through the marketplace, 
through our neighborhoods to actually stop and spread out time. It's not like when I come in my garage door and I wave as the garage door is coming down to my neighbor next door. Okay, that's not an investment. That's simply just being courteous and civil. This is something that, and this is what's so great. We see it from Jesus from the very beginning. Jesus made time even to spend with his enemies. People were who against him. He never cocooned himself away from them, put himself in a position where he could love them, he could care for them, he could confront them. These were all things that we have, his great example for us. The people in your relational world that you need to be more intentional with, how are you processing that today? And simple thing I wanted you to hear from the beginning, what drives you, what would cause you to be more intentional, to see the value of that? And I want you to hear it quickly today. It comes from a heart of love. That's what moved Jesus, that's what moves us. Not a guilt trip, not a sense of duty, not a checklist. People are not projects, but out of a heart of love. You remember even a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at 2 Corinthians 5, talking about the motivation. Why would I be motivated, moved to be an ambassador of Jesus? We talked about the extreme privilege that that is, that God would entrust to us the ability to represent him well to our worlds. And often that just moves us to feel bad about ourselves rather than to feel esteemed. God, that's amazing that you would trust me to represent you to my world. But we saw even in that passage, the second of the two motives there was that of love. For Christ's love compels us. Christ's love to us that overflows into our interactions with the people in our world. That's our motivation. That's what motivated Jesus. That's what motivates us. So we start today with Jesus' intentional example of incarnational, going among the people type of an approach. Number two in your notes today, compassion. Compassion is to be your response to the needs in your world. Compassion is to be your response to the needs in your world. These are the very next words that we just read from Matthew 9. This is now verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. These are the very next words it says when Jesus was among the people, this is what it moved him to. This is how he was affected. Now let's stop and back it up. It only makes sense. It's not rocket science to think that Jesus had to be affected by the people he interacted with. The simple question for us, that's not, so, that's not such a big deal. The big idea was affected how? Affected how and moved to what? As we spend time, as you spend time intentionally among the people that are in your world that still need this great love of Jesus, but people like you and I who have experienced it, who know him, it's not just truth. We know what it is that God is patient with us. It moves us to repentance. We know the goodness of God. How could you, as you interact with people, how could it not affect you when you see a broken people who are harassed and helpless? When you see people making self-destructive choices time and time again, how could that not affect you? The question is, moving you to what? Affecting you how, in what way? Think about the times that you're among the people in your world who are, have such a great need for Jesus. Think of some different caricatures, some names and faces. Maybe they might be like these. Maybe it's a family member who seems content to simply hop on the cultural merry-go-round and become the good consumer they're supposed to be. You'll interact with them over the Christmas season. It's just about bigger and better. And you see the, the flaw within that approach. You see the hollowness there. What does that do to you? How does that affect you? 
Maybe it's an unruly neighbor. Just the sheer fact that they live next to you drives down the value of every home in your cul-de-sac, okay? And, you, and you're just, they play their music loud, their yard's a mess, the whole business. What does that, how does that brokenness affect you? Maybe it's your coworker who's having an affair on their spouse. You know about it, and you watch this duplicitous life. How does that affect you? Maybe it's a same-sex-attracted nephew that you're going to interact with over the holidays. How do his decisions affect you? You see, when you're among the people, does it move you to discouragement? Does it move you to a smoldering anger that just kind of is right here in your chest that you just feel so frustrated about what people are doing around you? Does it do absolutely nothing at all because over time you've developed a callousness? It just simply bounces off. It doesn't affect you one bit. See what it did to Jesus. Back to the passage. When he, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I want you to consider that word picture for just a moment. Like sheep without a shepherd. Look at the metaphor. I want you to think about this. Just get, let's just get real with this idea. Have you ever come upon sheep without a shepherd? Now, we live in some agricultural areas, okay? Yukaipa's got lots of farm animals, okay? I know, because I, I grew up there, and we had goats. Goats, I think, are even dumber than sheep, if, it, if there is such a thing. I think uh, I know this firsthand. And so just imagine, just imagine you're driving around this area of, of, of the valley, and you actually come upon a road with a group of sheep who've gotten out of a pen, and they're literally out in the middle of the street. They are harassed and helpless, if you literally came upon a group of sheep that were not being tended to, that were out on their own, I believe most of us, there are still some heartless people in the room, but most of us would be moved to get out, to get out, pull over to the side and try to herd them out of harm's way. True sheep that were without a shepherd, you would do something about, you would see their predicament, you would see the problem, and you would actually do something to try to help. I really believe most of us would be moved to do that. Now, here's the interesting thing. You would do that with livestock. What about the people that Jesus likens to being the same type of problem? Look in your notes. When was the last time that you looked at the broken people in your world like sheep without a shepherd? You see, sheep without a shepherd in the middle of the street doesn't move you to anger. Maybe anger about their, their shepherd who wasn't paying attention or the guy who left the pen gate open. But the sheep themselves, you don't get angry at them for being lost, for being out in the middle of the street that are going to get hurt. You do something that moves you to action and moves you to compassion. When is the last time you saw the people in your world like that? Now, you're going to have a great answer back to me, and it's what I already anticipated. The people in your relational world aren't nearly as cute and cuddly, and they bite a lot harder when you try to direct them. So I get it. I get it that the people in your world, even though they're harassed and helpless, they're a lot thornier, pricklier type of people to work with than these actual sheep. But the reality is this, if we don't go in the love and compassion of Jesus, the kind that moved his heart, then it will just seem like a horrible job to try to be a person of influence because you're just going to be angry the whole time that people are so messed up. Now, I think there's another side to this dilemma. I think there's another part of this reality. I think it's this. I think that there are a group of us today who actually are filled with compassion. 
You see the people, not just in the global setting, but literally in your relational world, and you see their brokenness. You see their self-destructive choices. You see that they are harassed and helpless, and you are moved to compassion. The problem is the kind of compassion you're moved to at the end of the day is rooted in a humanitarian type of compassion, meaning how can you help fix them? How can you do something to bring change? And, And what it's doing is even at a subtle level, it's forgetting the ultimate answer to every need the people in your world have is not you. It's Jesus. And so when we go armed with compassion, but not a Jesus-filled compassion, I think you're going to feel exactly like I did. About four years ago, in a late afternoon in August in the high desert. Let me tell you the story. Take a look at this picture. This is an intersection you've never been at. So I'm going to try to illustrate a little bit. I brought my really cool laser pointer So look over here on this side, and you'll see this is obviously one of the big uh, hot points of the high desert. This is the super Walmart, okay? And uh, and this Walmart, you'll notice this is 395 that runs right here, 395. Many of you have been on that road to go to Bishop or or somewhere uh, even at the Mammoth. This is a, a highway. I mean, it goes through towns, but it's a moving highway. And this is Palmdale Road that's across the street. And Palmdale Road has a posted speed limit of 50 miles an hour, but usually cars are driving at 60 plus. So this is a very busy place with fast-moving cars. Well, this is what happened. So let me set a little bit of the context. Um, This is late August. Um, I'm getting ready to go on a missions trip with our church and with my son to Sri Lanka. So a lot is on my mind. I've been doing errands nonstop trying to get ready and get prepared for this. So I'm coming home and and the road I'm on on Palmdale Road, I'm headed this way, headed uh, west, and I'm stopped at a stoplight. And I gotta tell you, I just remember vividly being so stressed out, so overwhelmed with all that still had to happen. It it was just the worst kind of, you know, this kind of, um, uh, all the storm kind of collapsing at once. So I'm there, I'm stressed out, I'm waiting at a stoplight, it's a red light for me, and, and, and it's about dusk, so it's probably about seven in the evening. Sun is starting to head down. It's about seven o'clock. And here's a lady here at a park, or stopped here, and there's a stoplight at this intersection. And what she's going to do is she's going to get a green light, and she's just going to make a left-hand turn. Very basic. Well, her green light comes. She begins to make the turn. And the problem is, as I'm looking straight ahead, I'm seeing this big old truck coming down the opposite way, headed east, and he's coming down Palmdale Road with showing no sign of stopping. And I don't know if you've ever watched an accident happen. I've seen two. This was the first time I'd ever seen one. And I watched this, and I literally remember just, again, I'm, I'm exhausted, but I'm watching this, and I'm saying, no, no, no. And I see it happen, and the guy, as she's making her left, he just plows right into the side of her and then keeps on going. So it was like a total hit and run and just keep, and I just watched the whole thing like, I cannot believe that just happened. And my light's still red. And as soon as that happens, he plows on and keeps going. There are a couple cars that start following the truck. A guy and me kind of flip a U-turn kind of right here and pull off into the dirt. And then we start attending to this lady. And the lady's in the car, she's dazed, but she's alert, and she can get kind of to pry the door open, get her out of the car, and careful with traffic, get her over to the dirt. So we're over here on the dirt, and traffic is starting to come. The problem is her car, where it got hit, part of the engine was caved in. It's not moving. It's totally stopped. 
Now, let me say, from this point on in the story, nothing that I did should ever be repeated. I'm just telling you that now. And my wife will be the first one to tell you all that because she's made it very clear to me never to do this again. So I told you, I'm just kind of exhausted. My mind is not functioning well. And this is what I was thinking, though. When I'm on the dirt, we've gotten this lady out of the car. We've called 911. The only thing I can think of, it's really bad to get hit by this driver going by, but it's even worse to come 60 miles an hour down the road and just plow into a parked car. So I was moved by the right kind of problem. It's just my application was horrible. I go running out into the middle of the street. And I'm right on the other side of a green light, so it's still in the intersections, just beyond the light. And it's dust, sun starting to come down, so the sun is at driver's backs who are coming towards me. And I just start doing this. <laughs> and just like you, you can see my stomach, so could they, okay? And I'm just, anything I can do, I'd have done anything to get their attention. I start doing this, you know? And I got the car, the stuck car right behind me, and I'm doing everything I can a block out to get their attention, to stop, to go around me. I mean, I had a really close call. A guy comes at me. He's, he's not hitting his brakes. I jump out of the way. He barely hits his brakes, gets around. I was kind of going backwards, and then other cars are going 60 miles an hour this way. I'm like, oh, this is a bad idea, Todd. <laughs> keep going, keep going, you know? Now, I don't know how long it takes first responders often to come to an accident like this, but it was 25 or 30 minutes that I am doing this. And in my mind, the only thing I can think of, it is a bad idea to run into a parked car at 60 miles an hour. So all I can do is just keep doing it. I'm doing this for like a half an hour. The people on the side of the road, even the lady who got hit, what are you doing? That's stupid. But in my mind, I was just driven by the idea this is a bad thing if someone hits this car. So I'm just doing this crazy stuff. Finally, this guy comes out of this intersection, the same intersection in a big old suburban, and he parks his car kind of diagonally behind the broken down car. And he gets out of his car and he looks at me and he says, what are you doing? I said, I'm just really trying to help cars not hit this step car. He's like, oh. So he walks back to the back of his car and he gets out this magic red stick. <laughs> now, this, he actually got out a real flare that lights up, but I didn't want to set off all of our smoke alarms, so I just brought this one. But it, the desk is about this, and he just says this. Oh, actually, it stayed on. Probably shouldn't have, shouldn't have dropped it so hard. But he just sets out some flares on the back, on the back of the car, and he keeps his car parked there, and he says, uh, I think we're good. And my first thought was, where were you a half an hour ago? <laughs> my second thought is, where are these magic red sticks? I need some of these. And I'll never forget, as I, uh, the stick stayed on the ground, and I walked over to my car, and, and literally right after this happened, police shows up and starts marking out the area, turns his lights on, the whole thing. I, I remember, though, in real time, Getting back into my car, the police officer got my statement and I was ready to go home. I remember pulling back out safely onto the road and driving home. You're shaking, right? You're an adrenaline rush. I should have just died, you know, that kind of thing. But I remember driving home and in real time thinking, God, this is what it's like trying to tell people the incredible concern of an eternity apart from you 
all by myself. And the reality that I was never intended to. Jesus is the magic red stick. And the reality is as long as we will continue to keep him front and center, as long as we will continue to be reminded that our compassion doesn't come from ourselves, it comes from a God who loves the people in our world infinitely more than we do. And therefore, when we share this great truth and the need that people have to know this Savior, they're going to see him. They don't need to see us waving our hands around like a crazy person. They need to see the light of the truth of Jesus' love and forgiveness. So as you think about the kind of compassion that you're going to be moved to share, realize that it flows from the goodness of God's heart. It flows from Jesus' love poured out to you that you in turn can share with them. That moves us to our third point today. Jesus knows that your world needs more than you. Number three today, Jesus know that your world needs more than you. The next verse is in Matthew 9, verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, so he's walked among the people, he's moved by compassion, he sees that they're harassed and helpless, and listen now, he's going to give uh, another, um, uh, I'm forgetting the name of my verbs, um, an imperative verb, he's going to give them a direction, listen to what it is, it's a little different than you thought. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Here's the imperative verb, ask the Lord of the harvest... Therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I think the final part of Matthew 9 is a bit perplexing. Jesus has said these are, it's kind of in the narrative what he was thinking. He was thinking these are harassed and helpless sheep who need a shepherd. He changes the metaphor and he shares, this is like a harvest field just waiting to be harvested. But rather than look at his disciples and say, go get them. The only imperative verb he gives in this passage Pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers into his field. Let's talk about this a little bit. That's, a, that's not what I would have expected. I would have expected Jesus saying, hey, you're the harvest workers, go get them. He says, no, stop. Before you run headlong to go be involved in the harvest, begin by asking the Lord of the harvest. Ask the one who's in charge of this whole thing. This is all God's. His rescue effort, his harvest field, begin by asking the Lord of the harvest, Lord, would you send workers to the field? Here's a couple things that help kind of frame this narrative. Chapter 9 ends there. Chapter 10, the very next words in Matthew, Jesus assembled his disciples and sent them out. So it's almost like this. You can imagine maybe the narrative of chapter 9 happening on Tuesday looking out over the people, seeing the great need and brokenness, Jesus being moved by compassion and telling his disciples, pray that God sends workers to these fields. And then on Wednesday, the next day, oh, by the way, you're going. There's the fields, go get them. And so in a sense, what it is is Jesus helping his disciples be mindful, this isn't my mission, it's God's. I'm simply joining him and I get to be the answer to my own prayer. God, would you send people into my relational world so they could see Jesus through them? Oh, by the way, I'll go first and watch this. And I will expect that God is going to send co-laborers, co-harvesters to join me. You see, no one ever goes into a field by themselves and starts harvesting. It's always in a team. 
It's always a group of people who go. And I think that's what Jesus is connecting the dots for us is to see this, that though we want to be a people who are willing, though we want to be a people who respond to the calling of being invested and influential in people's lives, we never go alone. Not only do we go with the red magic stick of Jesus, but we also go with teammates. We go with co-laborers into the fields. I love the way that uh, Paul says it in Romans 10. Look at the screen. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach, watch, unless they are sent? Pray that the Lord of the harvest sends workers into the field. It's all channeled through the Lord of the harvest. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I think another key idea to this, I, this concept of, of team is that Jesus was wanting to help them realize you need a team. It's not just you and your effort and even you bringing this love I've given you. You need teammates. You need a great group of people. That's what I have loved about this month of November at Trinity Church. I love that our global missions conference began with this theme, let's do this together. Let's join as a team and, and be engaged in mission. Then I love that um, throughout this month of October and now ending in November, Christianity Explored has been going on. We made so much of that in the months leading up in September and October. God has used it. It's been productive in people's lives, and it's been a team who's been engaged in seeing that happen. I love that when Doug Pollock was here last week, over 200 of you saw fit on a Sunday afternoon to pay money to hear how to be better trained to have organically, spiritually significant conversations. Why? Because we need team. We need all of us. We need a group of us to say, God, we will be, we will gladly be your ambassadors to our worlds and we'll help each other do that. I want to give you a great illustration as we close today of a family that God definitely used a sequence of teammates to help connect. This is a picture of John and Mandy Goodwin and their kids, Ellie, Jackson, and Joshua. And I wanted to share their story. I've talked to them, so I make sure that I got it right. So this isn't just my rendition. But it was about last, this time last year that I, I interacted with Mandy, and she was telling me the story of what God did to get them involved here at Trinity. This is how it goes back. John and Mandy both grew up in different religious homes. They were religious and different religious traditions. But what they grew up with, they kind of said as they got married, we really don't want to repeat what we grew up in. We want something different. That's kind of where they left it. And then they started having kids. They bought a home in a neighborhood. The neighborhood they bought a home in happened to be the same neighborhood where the blanks moved in, where Jen and her family and one thing that was, I was talking to Jen a couple of weeks ago on the phone, Jen said, all we did was when we moved into our neighborhood, we just said, we want to be a people of influence. Jen even said, I feel funny about you talking to me about this because I just feel like I just did what everyone else should be doing. There's nothing significant about this, except I just thought this is what we're supposed to do. And what she began to do is they began to pray for their neighbors. They began to interact with their neighbors, invite them into their home, go over to their houses, talk to them out on the lawn and not just, hi, buddy, and shut the door. They actually started investing relationally in people's lives. One thing that Jen did is she decided after being there for a while, I'm going to have a Bible study in my home and invite ladies from the neighborhood. She said consistently it was just her and Mandy. 
And they would interact about whatever Mandy was wondering about. A very short Bible study, but just be able to continue to have the word of God. Jen invited Mandy and her family to come to church. And it was hard because John's work schedule was such that he worked on weekends. Mandy had come a time or two. But it was about two years ago, December of 2016, that... Jen invited Mandy and John and their whole family to come to our kids' Christmas musical. Now, what had changed in that period of time was John's schedule realigned where he had weekends off, so now they could come as a whole family. That was the first time the Godwin family as a family ever came to Trinity. They sat right over here. They came to one of the Sunday morning services. And as they came and as they interacted, what I love talking to Jen about this, she said, you know, one thing that's so great about things like the kids' Christmas musical, I have such great confidence when I invite people to come. I know how well done they're going to be. I know the effort and the energy that goes into it. I know they're going to have a great time. So I never think twice that it somehow won't be but anything but a great experience. And so she might have taken an invite card, something just like this something that's at every exit as you leave today, and said, hey, we're doing this thing at my church. My kids are in it. I think your kids would love it. Would you think about coming to this? And they did. Talking to John and Mandy, it was really great hearing them. They basically said, we were just waiting for someone to ask us to come and see what Trinity was about as a whole family. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the people in your relational world that are just waiting for you to ask them? And they would go. They just haven't heard you say it yet. By the way, these invites are at every exit as you leave today. They're not for you. They're for you to give away. You know when this service is going on. You know what the musical is. But the people in your world don't. This is an invitation. Pick one up on your way out today. Think about a family that would be great to invite to this and do it. So anyways, they come to this musical. And what was great was they came to a a group of people who were kind to them, turned around and said hello, and they walked away having a great experience. And what was so neat when I was hearing this story a little bit from Mandy last year, this is a quote from her. She said, we knew what we didn't want regarding a church community, but we hadn't yet found what we did want to engage. And then we came here. It would be following the next month in January, they started attending weekend worship services together as a family, and they haven't stopped. That next August, we do a thing at Trinity called Where You Fit, and they were introduced to small groups, and uh, Mandy got involved in T-Moms, and John got involved in a Friday morning men's Bible study. Ellie and Jackson love attending their programs on Sunday mornings. They recently had Joshua, and it was a group of moms from T-Moms that brought them meals took care of some basic needs that they would have. And in the midst of all the changes that they're experiencing with a new addition to their home, John's job is changing. They are so grateful for a church community to be there for them in so many different ways. Watch this. This is another quote from Mandy. We see the way that God has specifically provided the right people at the right time to be helpful to us on our journey towards him. There are dozens of examples that I could give of something just like this. And what I want you to hear is this. How many people did God use and is God continuing to use in their lives? Though Jen was the first point of contact from Trinity, once they got here, once they interacted with people, once they got involved in programs and small groups, man, there are so many points of connection now. And now the simple question for John and Mandy is, who are they inviting? Who are they investing in? This is how God uses us as a team. 
Look in your notes for our final fill-in today. God wants to use you to be a source of Jesus' influence in the lives of people in your world. So three questions as we finish today. Would you take seriously this aspect for your reason of why you're still on the planet? God wants to use you in the relational worlds he supernaturally, strategically placed you in. Second, would you be prayerfully considering how God would want you to engage the people in your world, the people who still need him especially, the people who are yet unconvinced that Jesus is who he says he is? Would you be prayerful about how God would want to use you? And lastly, would you ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers, to send you into his harvest fields, to be a teammate along other harvesters who get the profound joy of partnering with God and what he's doing in the world, in your world. Our now what statement this week, go among your people, bringing Jesus to your world and relying on his resources. Let me pray. Father, we come before you today as a people who are grateful, grateful that you've seen fit to demonstrate, to communicate your love to us. A grateful God that you have made known to us this amazing degree of which you've gone to redeem us, to rescue us. And this wild truth that the way that your people, your church continues to advance, continues to grow, continues to bring more family members into your family is through your kids, through your people. We gladly say, God, help us to be a people outward thinking. Help us to be a people of intentional influence. Help us to be a people rooted in Jesus reaching our worlds. You may be here today and you would say, you know what? I, I haven't even really begun and responded to this invitation to even be rooted in Jesus or to be reaching my world. And I want to tell you great news because you can begin. You can enter into that relationship even now, even today by A, admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior, admitting that you've lived life on your terms and as a result, you and everybody on the planet does not match up to God's standard. B, believe. Believe that the God-man Jesus did live up to that standard and as a result, being fully God, fully man, put himself in a position to take your penalty, to redeem and rescue you at the cross and the empty tomb. Believe that what Jesus did satisfies your need. See is choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I put my trust in what you accomplished at the cross and the empty tomb. I believe, I trust you that that is worthy of bringing salvation, freedom, forgiveness to me today. And I want to live a life modeled after Jesus' example. That's your next step. And I pray today you'd take it. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for what you're heading us into this Christmas season. Help us not only celebrate, but God, help us be so excited to communicate the great news of your arrival. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.